Uh, Andy's experience, he has preached at the, is current, well, is preaching at the Pleasant Valley Church of Christ in Killen, Alabama, which is just uh, a short distance from uh, Florence, Alabama. He has preached at the Vienna Church of Christ in Vienna, Illinois, the Eastside Church of Christ in Dixon, Tennessee. He started that congregation, by the way. The Green Plain Church of Christ in Murray, Kentucky. While there, he established the Green Plain School of Biblical Studies. He has participated in six public debates on matters of Christian doctrine. He has a doc- he did doctoral studies at Amridge University in Alabama, Montgomery, Alabama. Doctoral studies at Tennessee Bible College in Cookville. Master of Divinity for Amridge. Bachelor of Arts in Biblical Studies from Amridge. Middle Tennessee School of Preaching in College Grove, Tennessee, and the Nashville School of Preaching. His awards, academically, scholarly achievement in biblical studies from Amridge, who's who among students in American universities and colleges, Master of Divinity, magna cum laude, 2008, Bachelor of Arts, magna cum laude, 2004, Part-time instructor of biblical and historical undergraduate classes. has taught many classes. Teaching experience in the Middle Tennessee School of Preaching. Current, that's from 2003 to current. He has published five books. Each one, reach one, a study of church growth and personal evangelism. Lectures on the last things. Lectures on the New Testament church. Truth, Plain and Simple, and Other Gospel Sermons. You've Been a Good Brother, Willie, the Biography and Sermons of W.A. Bradfield. He's written articles in the Carolina Messenger, Firm Foundation, Gospel Advocate, Gospel Gleaner, Gospel Preacher, and Searching the Scriptures Quarterly. And he is currently the editor of the Gospel Gleaner. And this publication, copies of it are in the foyer on the table out there if you'd like to pick one up. Now, Brother Andy. just heard. Get Ron to just go everywhere I go and when I enter a room he can just tell all that off. I'm most proud I think of my family, good Christian wife. My three oldest children are Christians. My son's wanting to be a gospel preacher. Thankful for that. If we can just get a priest to come and do an exorcism on Emma, we'll all be right with the Lord. Yeah, for some reason, Melanie decided to give her Benadryl yesterday morning before a three-hour car ride here, and uh, she fought sleep for two of those hours, made for one of those days. There's a, but I'm thankful to be here. Very much so, and I've been looking forward to this uh, Sunday with you and enjoyed a fine supper last night with Ron and Mary and uh, enjoy their friendship and love and appreciate them very much. There's a statement that Paul made in Colossians 4 and verse 18. It's just a very simple statement, but it's a very telling statement. We want to delve into this. Paul says just, 
plainly, remember my bonds. You can almost see the tremor of age in Paul's hand. Perhaps even he is shackled to a guard. Maybe his hand is restrained and his writing is not as free-flowing as he would like it to be because of the shackle that he now wears. The book of Acts closes with Paul being imprisoned in the city of Rome. He's imprisoned for the preaching of the gospel. And this is not the first time that he'll be imprisoned. He's going to be imprisoned once more. And that's where we find him in 2 Timothy. Once again, second time that he is imprisoned in the city of Rome for the gospel's sake. Remember my bonds. This brings to my mind the stark reality that each of us face limitations in life. And so let's discuss today for a short while the limitations of life and how that they don't have to hamper us in the things that we hope to do for the Lord and the kind of life we wish to live. And I think this is a needed lesson for many. I think about those of us here who are elderly and you face various limitations. Just the other day I was speaking to a dear friend and gospel preacher who was lamenting the fact that he is older now and he's not a young preacher, Brother J.C., not a young preacher anymore. And he said, you know, Andy, I just can't get up and go like I used to. And I can't do everything like I used to do. And I just, I'm just uh, feeling the, the stress of age. And I think many of you feel that way, I'm sure, and can relate to what he's saying. Perhaps there are some of us who are younger, who can't be at every ball game we'd like to be at. Maybe we can't be at every school play. We're limited by a 40-hour a week or more work week. Some of us, we work shift work. And our job takes us away from home during the time that all those activities would be taking place. But we have to do what we have to do. And such are the limitations of life. I think about uh, Melanie and I think about how she would love to be a stay-at-home mom. Although now I think she'd probably just be bored out of her mind since all of our kids are in school. And I don't know that I would like that. She, the honeydew list would probably just grow exponentially. She would find more work for me to do, and then I would be severely limited in my life. But, you know, uh, she works outside of the home and inside of the home. And there are a lot of times where she would have loved to have uh, attended various uh, Ladies' Day functions or different things, but she's working because that provides insurance for our family. She can't do as maybe all of the other ladies can do who are retired or who are stay-at-home mothers. And such are the limitations of life. I think about the young folks who are limited just simply by inexperience and immaturity. And that's okay. 
there are lessons that you just have to learn through the school of hard knocks and you have to live some life and have some trial and some error and learn from some mistakes and that's perfectly acceptable. We see that with Mark, don't we? Mark simply wasn't ready to be the great evangelist that he would be. Uh, Paul said later, he said, he's useful for me in the ministry. But you know, the, there was such a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas on taking Mark on the second missionary journey that they both went their separate ways. Paul took Silas and Barnabas took Mark. That's okay. You're limited by youth. You, uh, you have some growing up to do. And you'll learn and you'll grow and you'll become more faithful and more faithful and make the church just that much more proud of you and be that much more useful if you set your heart to serving and remembering the Creator in the days of your youth. So we all have our limitations, don't we? Perhaps some it is uh, age, perhaps some it is health, perhaps some it is work, perhaps some uh, other things that limit us. Maybe perhaps we could all say in our own way to one another, remember my bonds. Don't judge me too harshly. Remember my bonds. Remember that I too have limitations in life. And when we learn the limits of these bonds and we attempt to bring as much glory to God as we can within the sphere of our influence and the limits of these bonds, you'll find that these bonds are not disgraceful, but they are an ornament to you. I think about the, the aged Christian woman who sits beside the bed of her husband and caring for him during his final years. Oh, she has limitations in life. But the love that binds her to the bedside of her husband, no, that shackle, if you will, is no disgrace. That's an ornament. Or I think about the husband who is beside his wife as she battles cancer and there to hold her head for her and weep and pray for her. And the love that binds him to her is no disgrace. It's an ornament. Lovelier than any jewel that any bracelet or necklace that our women are wearing today. Ah, the limitations of life don't have to be disgraceful. They can be beautiful if we'll glorify God while we're wearing them. And so let's look at a few things about the Apostle Paul and his bonds, his limitations. And why don't we begin in the 28th chapter of Acts and we'll move from front to back We'll go to, from Acts to Philippians to 2 Timothy. And let me pull out three points of this period and also the second period of imprisonment in Paul's life. In the first place, you'll notice as Paul is imprisoned, he is under house arrest in the city of Rome. And uh, this, of course, we're finding in Acts 28. And notice with me verse 23, what Paul is doing while he is in this house arrest. And when they had appointed him a day, 
There came many to him into his lodging to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. That's the way it is, isn't it? Some are going to believe and some are not going to believe, but it doesn't make Paul's preaching any less truthful. You see, the things that I say this morning uh, are not uh, truth or error based upon your reception of it. It's truth or error based upon where it comes from. You see, if what I can teach you is from the Word of God, it's truth whether or not you choose to accept or receive it. Whether you believe or don't believe doesn't change the fact that the word has been preached or taught. And that's the way it was with Paul in Rome. Now, Paul, what we're seeing in prison, verse 31, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. What are we learning here? Paul's limitations did not keep him, point number one, from being useful. From being useful. You see, he was limited by house arrest. What did he do? He turned his house into a, uh, we might say, a Bible school. Okay, this is where I am. This is where I'm limited. This is what I have to work with. I've got one guard every so many hours. I've got friends to come by and see me. I've got people in Rome who are curious to hear, and they're going to visit, so I'm going to teach them. This is what I have. This is my limitation. These are my bonds. This is my sphere of influence, and so I'm going to do all that I can within this sphere of influence. So as Paul was able to remain useful, and productive in his limitations. We must remain useful and productive in our limitations. Whatever those limitations may be, it could very well be that our uh, limitations are of uh, nature of age or of employment or of sickness or health, some other thing. Beloved, don't let those things stop you. Don't let those things keep you from being as useful as you can possibly be. It may be, like that one gospel preacher I was talking to you about, you may lament the fact that you're not as useful as you once were. But that doesn't mean, and, and that's sad to say, isn't it? In his mind, he feels that way, not in my mind, I tell you truthfully. To me, he's as useful as he's ever been. But in his mind, he feels that way. Yet, let me say, it doesn't mean that he's not making a difference on somebody somewhere. You simply just can't give up and throw up your hands and say, well, I'm not what I once was, and so therefore I'm not going to be anything. Well, you may not be what you once were, but it doesn't mean that you're not better. And it doesn't mean that the influence that you have now isn't just as meaningful as it has ever been been. Well, my grandmother Bates was 90 years old when she left this world and some of the greatest memories that I have of childhood are her teaching me from an open Bible in her lap. 
Now, what if she had just said, well, I'm 87, I'm 86, I'm 85, he's, he's 13, he's 14, he's 15, what's he going to listen to me for? But no, she didn't do that. She saw this is the sphere of my influence, and I'm going to do as much within this realm of influence as I can. And here I am before you today. It wouldn't be if it not for her. I can assure you of that. So many times I think we sell ourselves short because perhaps we see our circle of influence dwindling or becoming smaller and smaller. No, no, don't do that. You glorify God as much as you can within your realm of influence, whether it be small or great. And God will make whatever you do a blessing to others. Here's another point. Who's to say, now yes, Paul is limited. Here's a man who was able to go through all of Asia Minor, Macedonia, Achaia, all of the known world. Paul was ready to preach the gospel to everybody as far as the globe could stretch. Now he's confined to one house. That had to be hard. We don't know how many rooms. Let's just say maybe three or four rooms in that house. Here's a man who traveled thousands of miles and saw every city a man could see and every sight and beheld wonders and beauty of the earth that God created. And now he's limited to, let's say, just a small few-room house. And how discouraging that must have been. And so here's a man who preached to hundreds. And now maybe he's only teaching two or three at a time. But here's the thing. Those two or three were just as blessed as those hundreds or thousands. To those two or three that Paul was able to bring to Christ, he was just as useful and meaningful as he'd ever been in his life. And that's true of us today, isn't it? Here's point to number two. It did not keep him from being useful. It uh, did not keep him from being Productive. Notice with me from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, and verse 12. But I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest, now notice, in the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident in my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I believe this is probably what happened. Paul is overseen, guarded by a particular guard. And then let's say they're on a shift of every six hours or something to that effect. And so every six hours, there's a new guard who comes and sits with Paul. So Paul is sitting with this one guard for six hours and a second guard for six hours and maybe a third guard and a fourth, something like that. Perhaps four guards a day, maybe three, maybe two. But every one of these guards is getting a dose of the gospel. Every one of these guards is being taught. And so what the guard does is he goes back to the palace where the other guards are and he says, you know what I learned today? 
I learned about this man named Jesus who was crucified down in Palestine. Did you know that he was raised from the grave? Yeah, they crucified him on a Friday. He was raised on a Sunday. He was raised from the grave. 500 people saw him at one time. Oh, how did he do it? Well, it turns out that all of these gods that we worship, you know, this whole family of gods that we got from, from Greece, well, it's really not that way at all. There's one God who created all things, and this Jesus was his son. And he sent Jesus here to die that death for our sins. It's a sacrifice, it's atoning for our sins, to redeem us from our sins so that we could be right with the one God of heaven and earth. I'll go back tomorrow and he'll tell me how to become a Christian. How do I follow this Jesus who was raised from the dead? And then maybe he comes back the next day and he says, you know what? Paul taught me that I need to turn from my sins. I need to make a break with the things of this world. You know, the love of money that I have and uh, the, the way that I drink or the way that I do this or that. Paul says, I've got to stop those things. And I need to make a confession that I believe Jesus is the Son of God and that I need to be immersed in water. And when I'm immersed in water, I'm baptized into his death. And when I'm raised from that water, he says that's a new birth. That the blood of Jesus then washes all my sins away and I become a new creature. And so guard tells guard, tells guard, tells guard. And before long, all the guards are talking about it in that palace. And not only that, but wherever these guards are going to other places of house arrest, they're talking about Jesus. And so by this one little small house, Paul captivates an entire city. Why so? Because he wasn't going to become discouraged by the limitations of life. Wherever you found Paul, you were going to find Paul doing what Paul does. And that's preaching the gospel and glorifying the Christ. Oh, what a wonderful lesson. Point number three. His limitations did not cost him his happiness. He remained faithful, he remained productive, and he remained happy. What's the one word that we find over and over again in Philippians? Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. We just find that word over and over and over, don't we? Do you remember where Paul was when he wrote Philippians? In prison in Rome. See, the book of Acts concludes, and Paul writes four prison epistles from that house arrest. He writes Ephesians, he writes Colossians and Philippians, and Philemon. So those four books are written while Paul is in house arrest. So in the book of Philippians, what's he saying? Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. This is a man who is imprisoned, who is bound by shackles, who has lost his freedom, and yet he's able to say, I am a happy, blessed man. And here's how he was able to do it. Paul was like that little canary who sings so sweet in the cage or out of the cage. Have you ever noticed that? A canary song is just as pretty inside or outside of the cage. Paul's song was just as pretty outside of house arrest as it was inside. Because his happiness was based upon peace within, 
not pleasure without. Here was a man who was living in God's strength and God's unbound glory rather than his weakness and his limitations. And what a wonderful lesson for us to learn. Here's another point. Paul's imprisonment, his limitations, did not keep him from being an example to his brethren. Do you see here in Philippians 1 how that many brethren in the Lord are waxing confident in my bonds and are much more bold to speak the word without fear? In this same book of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9, Paul says, those things which you have both learned and seen in me. Learned and received and heard and seen in me. Do. And the God of peace shall be with you. You've learned them. You've received them. You've heard them. Paul spoke and Paul lived. He wasn't one of these say, do as I do, say it not as I do. No, no. Paul wasn't that way. And so even in prison, even in house arrest, Paul said, yes, I'm limited. But I'm going to learn to be an example for my brethren even while I'm limited by my circumstances. All right, here's our last point when we come to 2 Timothy chapter 4. So these limitations, they didn't keep him from being faithful. They didn't keep him from being productive. They didn't keep him from being happy. They didn't keep him from being an example. They didn't keep him from heaven. What does Paul say to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 concerning the crown of life? He said, it's laid up for me. And not for me only, but unto all them also who love his appearing. Paul knew the end is probably near as he's writing 2 Timothy. It's during the reign of Nero. Nero to that time was the epitome of evil. He was antichrist in the flesh. Rome burned, he blamed it on Christians. He would take Christians and wrap them in the skins of wild animals and then feed them, or excuse me, wrap them in the skins of animals and then feed them to wild animals for sport, for amusement. That's, that's Nero. He impaled Christians and set them by fire and then got on a costume of a charioteer and would ride his chariot up and down through and host chariot races on what's now Vatican Hill in Rome. That's Nero. Antichrist incarnate, the epitome of evil. And now Nero has Paul in prison. And Paul is writing to his young son in the faith, Timothy, and he says, oh, Timothy, you preach the word. And you be instant in season and out of season, and you reprove and rebuke and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. He reminds them there's coming a time, they're not going to endure sound doctrine, but you be watchful in all things. You endure, you endure afflictions. Just like I've endured them, you endure them. You make full proof of your ministry, do the work of an evangelist. My, I'm ready to be offered 
The time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. And now notice what he says. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Not to me only, but unto all them who love his appearing. Now that's Paul. And he's saying, yes, I'm limited in life. Yes, the time of my departure is at hand. Yes, I know it. But Timothy, I'm going to leave you some final words of encouragement. And I'm going to leave you as an aged father in the faith looking forward to a day that is better than this. The Lord Jesus is going to take care of me. And if you'll be faithful unto death, Timothy, he'll take care of you too. That's the message. So what do we learn about Paul and his limitations? Oh, they weren't disgraceful to him. They were a great ornament. An ornament of grace and beauty. Paul's limitations were proof that God was alive and well even in the most dire circumstances a man could face. God doesn't give up on us and let us not give up on him even when we're limited in life. Let me say this to you. Never be finished with your life until God is finished with it. Don't give up on your life. Don't believe that, well, just because I am not as able to go as maybe I once was, or I don't have as I once did, or I don't have as much money as some others have, Ah, uh, Second Corinthians 8 and verse 11, it's accepted according to what a man has and not what he has not. God isn't asking of you to do something you're unable to do. He's asking you to be faithful with what you have. No, no, don't be discouraged, beloved, and don't allow these limitations to break your heart. Wear them proudly and serve God as faithfully as you possibly can while you wear them. And you'll encourage all the rest of us. You'll be a blessing wherever you go and whatever you do. We'll conclude today with the Lord's plan of salvation. If you were to come to me today and say, well, Brother Andy, I'd like to know what must I do to be saved. I'd take you to the Apostle Paul. I reckon I would. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul said, God has set forth in me a pattern to all them who would believe unto life everlasting. Well, Paul's that pattern, okay? What did Paul do to be saved? Now, he was on his way to Damascus to bring back Christians from Damascus to Jerusalem to put them to death and put them in prison. And a heavenly vision shined and blinded him, it was so bright. And he fell to his knees. And he said, who art thou, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus whom you persecute. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And Paul said, what would you have me to do, Lord? And Jesus said, go to Damascus and tarry there, and it shall be told you what you must do. Paul went to Damascus and he was there for three days praying and fasting. 
Now, there are some preachers in this town. If you were to go say, what do I need to do to be saved? They would say, come up here and let's say a prayer together and you'll be saved. But listen to this. Paul prayed for three days. And God sent a preacher. Why? Well, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God chose preaching to save those who would believe. So God sends a preacher by the name of Ananias. Ananias tells him of God's great plans for him. And Ananias lays his hands upon him and he receives his sight back through a miracle. And Ananias asks this question, Now why tarriest thou? What are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. The last debate that I had, I asked a man this very question I'm going to ask you today. If three days of prayer and fasting didn't wash away Paul's sins, why would a three-minute sinner's prayer wash away your sins? Something isn't adding up. Of course, this man said, well, he washed away the sins of his daily walk when he was baptized. I simply replied, can a man go to heaven in the sins of his daily walk? And what good's a sinner's prayer if it doesn't wash away all the sins? The blood of Jesus cleanses us from... All sin. And when you obey the gospel and his blood cleanses you, it cleanses you and washes you free. Though your sins be as scarlet, he'll wash you and make you as white as snow. That's the way our Lord works. So Paul, what did he do? He said, in me has been set forth an example, a pattern to all who would believe to life everlasting. Again, 1 Timothy 1.16. Well, Paul heard the gospel. He believed it. He repented of his sin. That, that's the fasting a man who's not eating for three days is a penitent man. He's so sick at his stomach for what he's done. He cannot eat. He's that sorry for his sin. And then he's baptized calling on the name of the Lord. That's a confession. And then he's baptized into Christ. As he would say later, we're all sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of us as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. I would just tell you to do what Paul did. Or I'd say, let's go back to Acts 2, when they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and let every one of you be baptized. What's the promise? Remission of sins, gifts of the Holy, gift of the Holy Spirit. If we do what they do, we'll have what they had. And if those brethren were saved and added to the church on the basis of obeying that word, why can't we do the same today? So if you were to come to me as we're soon to stand and sing this invitation song of encouragement and say, Brother Andy, what must I do to be saved? What could I do but open the book divine and say this is what they did and this is what you need to do? There may be a child of God whose heart is broken from the limitations of life. And you may say, I am weak, I, I'm already a Christian, but I'm so weak and discouraged. Will you pray for me? We'll happily pray for you and with you and encourage and help you as much as we can today. 
but Lord willing, the days to come. This church family could surround you in a warm and loving embrace and see you through, comfort and encourage you, just as God would have us to do. But whatever that need is, this invitation song and this particular time of our worship service has been set aside for those spiritual concerns. And if we can help you in any way, let us help you while together we stand and while we sing.